Welcome to Trade Secrets. We finally came up with a name. We promised a name before episode 13, correct? And um, now we have it. So Paige came up with it. It will be way better. So it's actually episode 14. Um, But it'll be even better when you see it in design because it's a little play on totem reality advisors and commercial real estate that are buried in the words trade secrets. So super pumped. And without further ado, the topic of current events is Paige Myers rocking it at CCIM 101. 96% on the test. We're so proud of you. That's awesome. Good work. Thanks. Now you're being humble because you're on camera. <laughs> Come on. Well, I can't get up and do the dance that I did earlier. So That's a big deal. We're super yeah. excited. Thanks. So yeah, tell us about CCIM 101. Um, oh, like all of it? I all mean, of it, I, yeah. It, it's a class. It's towards What's the, CCIM mean? CCIM What's the 101? These people have no a idea. a designation for um, commercial real estate investment Sales, I guess. I don't. Certified commercial real estate investment member. Member, yeah. Yeah. So, I guess I would be considered a candidate. A CCIM you are a candidate, candidate right now. Currently. Yep. There are six courses, I think. Um, question mark. To get the designation, along with a, some kind of portfolio component. So. Um, I think it's six sections, four courses, a final exam, and a portfolio. But there's also electives in there, too. So yeah. I think there's at least two or three elective courses I have to take. Cool. So I am, yes, 101, according to Kevin and a lot of people I talk to, is uh, probably the hardest of the four core classes. And the test was not great. Really, what do you mean great? You got a 96%. I would say it was not great. No, but I, before I hit the submit button, I truly thought that there was a chance I was going to fail it. Um, a so lot even of math, after you were done with all of the questions and you were yeah, about to hit submit, you thought failure was an option? I was sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I was very nervous. I also thought the test would take me like two hours, two and a half maybe. I started at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night. First mistake. Um, so as like midnight was approaching, I was, I was just kind of like finishing it up. And at that point I was so tired. I'm like, I'm not even going back and reviewing it. I'm just going to let Jesus take the wheel on this one. And I clicked submit. What did Jesus say? That is a rabbit hole. We don't want to. We don't want to go there. Oh not at this point in time. Lord. The part that I'm really, actually, more surprised about. She just said you Jesus. did this on a Saturday night. That's how cool I am, Michael. You, <laughs> you did it on a Saturday night, and now she's quoting. Uh, she's invoking Jesus. Taking the wheel. Is there something we should be aware? There is a podcast. I've had a, an awakening. <laughs> Holy smokes! No, I just wanted to get it done because, as we have all seen, my level of uh, knowledge retention isn't always great unless I am utilizing it every day. So I didn't want it to become stagnant in my brain. So the class ended Thursday. I took a, I took a day of rest on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> You're just... Most, gonna go down most, most of those other guys, they, they pick Sundays. Friday. Um, I couldn't go... Full, full you board. You go, yeah, yeah um, I, I get it. And then I, I just it. I procrastinated a bunch oh on Saturday, gosh. and I did it Saturday night. Yeah. And I was exchanging text messages with one of the other uh, guys from the class that was out in Alaska. I was like, I'm going to fail this. I'm really going to fail it. I'm going to fail it. And I hit submit, 
and then I felt like an asshole because I tell you right away? Is it instant? Yeah. 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 But it was good. It was kind of validating. So it's over. Well, it's not over. I mean, it's It's not over. That is over. The journey has just begun. It has just begun. And you were skeptical. I think it's a good word about my strong encouragement to get your CCIM. Mm-hmm. But now that you're two courses in, because you did 102 first, then you went backwards and did 101. What's your thoughts now? Like, was it relevant? Is it yeah, applicable? Yeah, super relevant. I mean, even to daily life, like understanding when you take a mortgage on your home at X, Y, Z, you know, X interest rate, um, you know, understanding amortization, you know, I think that's something that a lot of people don't fully process when they... Um, when they take out loans, um, it's pretty wild. Like if you calculate the difference of what you will pay over the life of a 30 year mortgage with a 3% interest rate versus a 7% interest rate is nuts. It's depressing. Drink a bourbon before you do that. Um, yeah, nobody ever pays attention to that. They just pay attention to what their monthly payment is. Yeah. But also what was really intriguing to me, um, were the, the tax implications and, and, getting a better grip on um, the benefits of owning real estate as an investment vehicle um, because of the the tax, uh, I don't wanna say write off, but advantages. the tax advantages through depreciation um, and you know the components of what goes into capital gains tax. Um, so understanding those very nuanced things that I think you know, unless you are a CPA, you probably don't deal with. Right. But um, seeing how that lowers taxable income and can, especially now in a time of like a lot of volatility in the market and in more traditional investment avenues, um, you know, it was cool to see how those tax incentives or kind of tax, I don't want to call it a loophole, but. Um, Tax opportunities from tax owning, code. yeah, just tax code. opportunities, yeah. yeah, for and advantages for owning commercial real estate. <clears throat> I think it makes a really good investment case for commercial real estate as a solid investment, um, and a wow. stable it's investment avenue. A, as a part of a diversified portfolio, mm-hmm. the other the, there's two parts that I wanted to hit. There was the relevance of it. Now you can see the cost of money is a huge impact on the value of things. Yeah. And not just not real estate. I mean, just think of you just looking at it buying a car. When you can buy a car for 0% interest or 1% or 2%, and then you can buy a car for 9% interest, they're huge, huge changes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the depreciation component of it, too, that's huge. But also, with a long-term mortgage, you also get to write off the interest that you pay, which is the mm-hmm. front part, front-loaded interest in the amortization schedule. Uh, that's a, a an expense. Right. So owning real estate initially is a tremendous tax play. Mm-hmm. Which is wild to me. I mean, we now are 14 episodes in, and we're starting to get to a point where like all of them are starting to touch on each other because it's such a intertwined industry that we're in. I mean. Our last episode was about owning versus leasing. We did a whole conversation about interest. I mean, it's pretty wild that it's all coming full circle now that we're, yeah, you know, almost what three or four months into this thing. Yeah, and in the true spirit of the government, the fact that they give you the benefit up front for the depreciation, they also get you in the end with what's called recapture. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. So that can be in addition to your capital gains that you would have to pay on that. That lowers your basis regarding that. Yeah, but I don't think, the thing that stood out to me, I don't think, you know, and maybe this is an interesting topic for a future podcast, but I think we could do like a real deep dive on depreciation and depreciation schedules because I don't think um, a lot, and this is a generalization um, just from my limited time in the industry, but I would be curious, this is a better way to phrase it, I would be curious to know how many real estate investors are taking full advantage of depreciation. Um, like you can depreciate pers- like like capital expenditures, you can depreciate personal property, you know, tr- trade fixtures, whatever that you put into your space and the asset itself to reduce your taxable income. But I don't know that people are taking full advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, my gut is that anybody who owns a substantial amount of real estate, and I guess we could all argue about what substantial means, but anybody who owns real estate and is using a third-party accounting company is taking advantage of it. Anybody who owns like you know half a dozen duplexes or single-family homes who's doing their taxes on QuickBooks, mm-hmm. probably not taking advantage yeah, of it. Absolutely. And then there's other aspects of it, like there's certain components of real estate you mentioned. Your best uh, friend took for, advantage of it a lot. Oh, don't even. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, that, you, you know, can love him or hate him. He's, you know, when you yeah, talked about trade he's really good at it. You talk, talked about certain improvements that are in there. You can accelerate depreciation under certain schedules. Mm-hmm. Like carpet depreciates at a different value than... Uh, or a time frame than drywall depreciates or at a different value than, um, you know, the structure depreciates. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it, it's a very important thing to understand, to get an overall picture of what is it you're going to. A thousand percent. I mean, it's, yeah. it's important to understand how to leverage other people's money to make yourself wealthy and to get the max return on your investment by way of these avenues that are available. And that was we very need to get that to on a clip. What yeah. she just said. I mean, yeah, she is like like the light bulbs are like firing on all uh, cylinders. That, that's a perfect example of the. Didn't think that was going to happen. Today. That was. <laughs> I mean, I want that clip later. Yeah. That was great. No, but I mean, even that as as real estate experts, we're the first thing we tell you is consult an accountant regarding that. In right. fact, consult someone that specializes. And accelerated depreciation schedules and cost segregation and absolutely actually when you finished the class and you told me about like your light bulb about depreciation i was like we're going to have someone on so you know stay tuned there is an accountant coming to the podcast but we can't release the name just yet but one of our next guests will be a very trusted accountant in the real estate space yeah and that's an, a, a completely different side of real estate investment yeah. Right. But overall, another thing that just like a personal takeaway, um, as much as like my brain hurt at the end of that class, I realized how important it is to like not stop learning. I mean, it was very hard to get back into a classroom setting where I was learning for seven, eight hours straight of just running numbers, like interacting directly with the material and learning it. Um, and it made me realize, you know, the importance of continuing to educate yourself and not getting 
you know, I, I think so many things go on on a daily basis in our world. It's hard to carve out time for things like that. Right. Um, I could have made a thousand excuses why I couldn't have done that class last week, but doing it and realizing how out of practice at learning in a more formal setting I, you know, I have been, um, I think was a testament for me in my own personal life to like not ever stop. Yeah, you can't get complacent. Right. Right. So. I think it's one of the keys to success in this industry. Sign up for a class. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why I'm going to Dallas next week. It's not, and a lot of people go for the networking, but I'm going because I think it's an opportunity to learn from people who are doing things that candidly I don't know about and would love to learn about. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was a good experience. Good. So 103 or 104 on the horizon? Yeah. Ish? Yeah. 2023? Oh, for sure. Cool. Yeah, just uh, hopefully we'll get some more classes back in Pittsburgh. Um, so far, they're all in Florida, my favorite place. <laughs> or or Chicago. the West Coast. Right. No, not even Chicago, oh. like Reno. So, or British Columbia, which I'd love to go to. Beautiful. All right, so your 96% gave you the right or the uh, you earned the... I know there's something you're desperately wanting to talk about. I don't know. I feel like we wasted event. a lot of time with no, that. No, we're good. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> this my, is great. My true crime loving spirit. Um, I just can't stop talking about the fact that they found 100 cars on the bottom of the Allegheny River this week. On how big of a stretch of the river? I don't have that info. I think it's just like But the, a relatively, the like in the pool, like in yeah. the Pittsburgh pool. Yeah. Which for your non-Pittsburgh people, that's from Lock 2, which is basically Sharpsburg down to the point. That's the Pittsburgh pool. And then headed up the Ohio and the Mon. Yeah. A hundred cars. So Over this, what has no, this time? has zero relevance to commercial real estate. Zero. zero. This is current event of Pittsburgh's this, day. This is just Paige's brain going down a, a real rabbit hole. All right. So yeah. in like less than a minute recap the how they found 100 yes. cars so two families from my understanding two families independently hired these underwater dive teams that use some kind of sonar that most police departments whatever do not have um, and these two dive teams they have like youtube presence they've become famous for um, solving cold case missing person or solving like cold missing person cases where a vehicle has also disappeared because they just scour bodies of water looking for vehicles okay so they were engaged by these two families to come to pittsburgh to look for two people that have been missing from like 2013 and 2017 i think started scanning the allegheny county or like the allegheny river found this first vehicle um found a body in it of a man who has just recently gone missing in harmony um, like within a month recent yeah. right yeah, yeah. he had been missing for a month i think they it was first on the news like a week and a half ago, so it's only been investigated, I think, as a missing persons case for a, a week or two. Okay. Um, so immediately, like, beginning of their work here, they find this guy um, who was not one of the two people that they were hired to come look for. As they continue then to scan the river after that, they found a hundred other vehicles at the bottom of the Allegheny. <laughs> Which, were, there, were there remains in the vehicles? They're or? looking through all of them to find out. That's a lot of cars. That's a lot of cars. And I mean, and like, I think, I mean, maybe if I wanted, if I, you don't just miss, for people who aren't familiar with Pittsburgh, you can't just 
mistakenly drive off the road anywhere and end in the river. Like no, you'd it, have to drive through like an embankment or a It would be wall. an accident and there would be evidence that it had happened and it would be immediately looked into. So the fact that Or you go to a, like a public boat launch. And drive, yes. So the news clip that I was watching the other night that started this fascination for me is the, the newscaster that was interviewing the dive team asked him if they thought this was coincidence or, or what this meant. And they said there, there was a strong case here for organized crime over the years in Pittsburgh. Interesting. I mean, what would make you want to just dump cars in the river? Well, if well, you are that, in the mafia. <laughs> well, I imagine it's not just the car. There's probably at some else. point in time there was something else that was in the car, possibly a human being. Right. There's a very similar thing that occurred in Lake Mead because of the droughts that are oh, occurring yeah, no, out cars there. Are like coming they up. keep on finding bodies and barrels and cars and, and other remnants of... Uh, bodies and barrels uh, feels way more mafioso than cars. But. Well, you got to get rid of the... One said. I mean, a car's got value. So dropping a hundred cars in the river seems like throwing money away. Well, if you yeah, but a car. Yeah, but, but if, if, you're, car, if you get rid of somebody you else, killed, right. you got to get rid of the you car. You can't just resell it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You just make that go away. Like I, I, so. like I don't. I assume you just make that go away. All right. So. So, anyways, not relevant. I find it fascinating. I'm waiting for a true crime podcast on it any history buffs out there that have great knowledge of like Pittsburgh crime families, call me. We are going way I, down a rabbit hole. I would hole. wager to say that if you go to any urban area, any major urban area that has any kind of potential for crime or, or anything else, you're going to find vehicles submerged in rivers or lakes. Isn't or... it also crazy though? The police departments don't have that tool. Like they hire like Joe Schmo from the YouTube channel to come in and solve these cases. Like, wouldn't Joe you think? Joe from the YouTube channel. Wouldn't you think police departments or some kind of law enforcement team would have access to these? No, tools? because they're under budgeted. No. no, I mean that's. I mean it's that's wild to me. Like. You think that the the budget for the Pittsburgh Police Department is like, yeah, let's spend. I'm making a number up. I have no idea what this thing costs. But even if it only costs fifty grand, fifty grand on something that they have to use once every yeah, but ten years. Think of how many resources they deplete trying to solve cold case files over the years. Think of like the man hours that are spent solving unsolved mystery things or tracking people down. And that has to translate. I would still think there's a value add there to purchase this equipment. You would think. I bet they have one now. You, now you, that they found a hundred cars in the river, because uh, that was just the Allegheny. Yeah. So when did why would you why? buy when you can just pick up the phone and call these guys? Hey, you know, just uh, it's time for well, your I'm sure a, these annual. Guys are for free. It's for your annual boat trip. <laughs> <laughs> your annual river inspection. Yeah, the river cruise. But yeah, you just... I just think it's fascinating. I mean, if they find a hundred cars in there, imagine how many like firearms they're finding. Imagine how many like missing links. Like we are totally going down yeah, a rabbit hole. Yeah. So there's a but podcast called Criminal that is incredible. But, like, it all got started with, um, no, it's called Serial, not Criminal, Serial. It all got started with this, like, high school love fest that ended in murder. And the kid, um, I forget his name, Adnan? Yeah, he just got pardoned, I think, right? No, he just got released from jail after 23 years of being convicted for murdering his, like, high school sweetheart. And now, 23 years later, they have DNA evidence that he was nowhere near her or around the situation. I mean, that is so, so messed up. 
Thank God. Wild. None of us are in that situation. I can't wait to hear. I mean, it's obviously very morbid and it's very sad for, you know, the family of the man that was found from Harmony. Um, but, like, imagine how many people's families they could give, like, closure, closure. to. Yeah. So it is a morbid thing. Like, my fascination is, you know, um, not I'm not trying to make, like, fangirl light of this, but I find it, it very fascinating. Yeah. And that's all. Okay. That's all. So that was podcast 14A. 14B is now on a real estate topic, which we might actually have something that we know about. Um, and that is, drum roll. Exclusivity yeah. um, agreements. So, yeah. Working, and when we say that, like there are several exclusivity agreements in the commercial real estate world. One of which you will see like an exclusivity clause or provision in um, letters of intent to buy a property or to lease a property or in purchase and sale agreements. But this exclusivity that we're talking about. Oh, but hold on, before I go down there, what, I mean, exclusivity, it has a definition. Like, I mean, what, to you, what's the definition of exclusivity? Um, you're with me and only me. <laughs> right. Yes. Kind of like, well, I was going to say it's kind of like marriage, but I have a feeling some people don't believe that marriage means well a contract is only as good as the people who enter into it so the, the contract right but aspect. the idea of exclusivity though is that you and the other party involved agree to mutually work together and for one another or with one another right okay. um so exclusivity in a purchase and sale agreement or a, a lease letter of intent whatever it may be um generally serves the purpose or intends to serve the purpose of saying, okay, we're expressing to you that we want to move forward with this agreement. And in the meantime, we're asking you to only like exclusively talk to us about this. Usually and not, for a period of days. Like right. Not 15, to continue 30. marketing it to the world and entertaining conversations with other interested parties. But, in good faith as we go through the rest of the transact, the machinations right. of the transaction. But And that's typically because you, the buyer want to know that the money you're going to spend during that period of finalizing the contract is not being undermined by the other party talking to other, other suitors, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Um, but the exclusivity that we're talking about today um, is probably something that is lesser practiced in the industry, and that is um, exclusivity with clients. Um, so I know we've talked before on podcasts about clients versus customers. We've talked before about dual agency. So this kind of touches on both of those things. But, um, you know, I, I think sometimes when I tell people that we only work with clients um, who are willing to execute an exclusivity agreement with us, mm -hmm. they're floored. Um, you mean people in the industry or yes. people who are not in the industry? People in the industry. Right. Why do you think they're floored? Um, well, uh, I think because it's just not a common practice. I think it's because um, as an independent contractor maybe or as one of many doing what you do as a commercial real estate agent to get a business, a lot of times you are like really selling yourself hard to these clients or selling your team or selling your capabilities. So then to sell them on that and also be like, but hey, I also, now that you have said we are going to work together, I want you to sign this agreement and say that you will only work 
I mean, I think it can be an intimidating ask of someone that you are trying very hard to get their business. Um, so I, I, that's my guess is that there is a, a discomfort or um, yeah, like a discomfort with that additional ask on top of like asking for their business, but then also saying, well, hey, now that I've sold you on everything I can do, I'm protecting my time and I'm gonna need you to sign this document saying that you will only work with me or us. Right. So you have to be, you know, it does require a certain level of, of confidence that you can deliver in order to really like stand up for your time and efforts to clients. And there's so many places I want to go with that because obviously this is something that is near and dear to me. But what's your well? First the, the, take? the first thing is the, the the most used exclusive agreement in real estate is the exclusive right to represent, to sell, or to list property. Mm -hmm. Okay, and when people go to sell their house, they hire uh, an agent who enters into an exclusive agreement with the person who's selling the property with that particular agent. Right, which okay. those. Those are more common, so, and I think you should also talk about the other end of it. Right, as well. but let's just start off to build a foundation. Let's just go with that, and that requires that the person that is selling the property, the the seller of the property, uses this particular agent. But anybody that comes to her directly, or to to them directly, or they they know that buys the property, they compensate that particular agent that has the exclusive whether they did anything or not. And I think that that's the, the reluctance and the ask by saying, well, what happens if uh, I do a deal directly and they kind of fumble around and say, well, you're paying us to market this property. Our time is valuable. You are going to compensate us no matter what, one way or the other. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that you're going to do with an exclusive agreement. The value to you is that you can rest assured we're the ones doing the marketing of that property. Yeah, but so, I mean, we've all experienced, so let's just pick some names here so this is easier to follow. Sue is the property owner, and she wants to hire Michael to sell the property, and she's going to sign an exclusive for him to market it almost every time, Sue says, but what if I find the buyer? Correct. Right? And that's where the, the heavy lift comes to say to Sue, with the courage to say to Sue, well, if you find the buyer, you need my expertise because I'm representing your interest to carry this thing through to fruition. Right. right. That's and the this appropriate is answer. When I got fired up about this topic last week, that was like what was gnawing at me as something that should be talked about. Is like finding the buyer or finding the property is like the first step. It's like one of the first steps in the process. It does not end there. That yeah. is not the task. Yeah, the task is to get it closed or leased or occupied. The task is not to just find the party. And finding that... a person to engage in that process with you is like step two of a 90-step process. <laughs> right. The, the, the hard part of that is that in addition to being one of the only steps, it's probably the least important step, to tell you the truth. Okay, yes, I'm going to hire somebody who's going to represent me. If you're worrying about you doing the work and selling it uh, your home directly, why are you hiring this person in the first place? What was compelling about using them to market your property? Because the perception is that, that by hiring somebody, you get access to a bigger buyer pool. Well, th but that's you're the... still, if that's the perception, but you're still thinking that, well, it's not that big because I'm worried about this part of it. Right. 
It's fascinating. And the other part of signing an exclusive agreement like that is the fact that it's exclusive to the seller compensating the agent. It's not exclusive to the agent going to the very next door house and getting the same exclusive agreement with the next seller to sell two or three houses on the, on the same, same street. street. And you see that constantly. And that's the, just the inherent conflict of interest that we have for the, the in the brokerage business. Right. I mean, <laughs> literally, we have an exclusive uh, right to sell agreement right now with a client. And it's been a very um, active listing, meaning lots of interested parties, people from all over the country would like to purchase this. And one of the buyers said to me, I want you to represent me on this offer. I was like, well, that is not going to happen. And this yeah. was today, like literally, you know, October 12th. Um, and he was floored. He's like, what do you mean you're not going to represent me? I was like, I got hired by the seller to exclusively represent them to sell. And he was right away like, yeah, but then you can have both sides of the fee. I was like, that's not how Totem does business, buddy. Mm -hmm. Like, if you feel like you need represented, you need to get somebody to represent you. And whatever you want to pay them, you go right ahead and pay them. Our client is paying us for our side of the work here. And... No, we cannot represent you, the buyer of the property where we got hired exclusively to sell. Um, and he, I mean, out of his mouth, I've been doing this quote for 40 years and no one has ever said no to me like that before. I got asked on the same. I, it's unbelievable. On the same trend, on the same listing, I got asked the same question. <laughs> and uh, so... Kelsey, who's on the team, who's new, who you guys haven't really met, but supposedly in episode 13, she might have made a cameo. Um, so she, obviously, being new to the industry, asked the same thing. Well, like, what is their concern? And the concern, the absolute ridiculousness of this industry that drives me nuts, clearly, is that the buyer pool is so used to this exclusive issue that they're worried that if they don't hire the selling agent that the selling agent is going to move the needle in favor of other buyers who do hire the selling agent that's exactly what he said to me he's like i do not want to lose this deal over what's maybe a two or three percent uh issue i'd rather just hire you guys you guys get both sides of the fee and therefore you won't box me out i was like this is which wild. Again shows an ignorance of not understanding of how our industry works because typically there's no additional fee. But I also I don't think it shows. An, I think it shows uh, he's been jaded. He's, he's, he's been burned. He's been burned because it's not an ignorance of how the industry works. It's a he's privy to how the industry does work. Unfortunately, right. so in a lot of cases, sellers typically sign exclusives. Not all the time. There are open listings. We won't go down that rabbit hole because that like is preposterous um but so sellers typically sign exclusives i think we, yeah we also need to talk about the tenant that's where i'm going okay. right but i think what really got you passionate about this conversation is totem's position that buyers and tenants if they want to work with totem have to sign exclusive agreements yes and that is the part that's foreign to the industry and I was thinking about it this morning I, I vividly remember sitting in his office his name was Rocco 
Uh, he was one of my mentors early in the industry. And he had like caught the exclusive bug, like he wanted the exclusive, and we'll get into the why you want an exclusive. But he wasn't willing to like make the big ask, so <laughs> I'll never forget this. And this is where it all started for me. We had a piece of paper, eight and a half by eleven, and at the top of it, it just was like two date. You hereby authorize us to be your exclusive agent to go lease a property. Period. Sign your name. Because he felt like that you could get somebody to sign because it doesn't have any teeth, it doesn't really lay out any terms, it doesn't say who's paying who. It's like just asking for a pinky promise, Rocco. <laughs> well, the same weight. So 20 years later, I can look back and laugh that it was a pinky promise. But it really was a pinky promise. And it was still, like when I was two years in the business, it was hard to walk into somebody's office and be like, hey, sign this piece of paper that you're only gonna lease space with me. Um, clearly, 20 years later, the piece of paper is now like five pages, and it is very clear about what they can expect from us and what we give back to them in return and vice versa. Um, so, and that's, and that's the important part of what, why someone would want to do something exclusively, because you're hiring them for their expertise. I am going to do this, 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 and this, and I've become the single point of contact representing your interest exclusively, which is the true sense of the word. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't hire an attorney and say, oh yeah, well he's my attorney today, but then this guy's my attorney tomorrow, or he's my attorney tomorrow. You, It's a professional service that you're providing specific to the real estate I'm spectrum. so glad you brought that up. What is the first thing a new attorney says to a new prospective client? First words out of the mouth every time. I need to run a conflict check. Oh. Every single time. I don't know whether that's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. If they're a good attorney, they yes. listen for about two minutes and they say, and they say this is I need to run a conflict check. Yeah. And they run a conflict check. This is the part that I like about law firms through the entire firm. Correct. There's nobody in my office that has done this. or, or Has a relationship. With, has a relationship with you or the person that you have uh, the adversarial relationship against. Right. Mm -hmm. But in our industry, that never happens. Ever. Ever. It ever happens. And I've actually been thinking about that. Like, maybe we should start running conflict checks, even though we're well, such a small us, shop. so it's pretty quick. Well, four of us. But four. Um, I think we know enough about who the players are and what's going on that we avoid it without running a, quote, check. But I do think it's fascinating that the law industry, and I kind of want to find out when they started doing it, like even though they have such a bad rap. They, by and large, conflict check everything before they start working on it. Whereas our industry is like, sure, you wanna go find space, let's go. Mm -hmm. And why do we not do that? Like, now that you've been here for three years, like what is, uh, it, we have a very real world example over the last week where it's like hitting you, I think, finally in the face about why it's so important to us. Yeah, because I mean, well, to address your, I won't feel like I've already addressed your question of like, why don't people do that more in our industry? But as far as making a case for why it's important, um, it one, like nothing is free. Like if you have someone doing free, you know, uh, unencumbered work for you, you're probably not getting the best work on your behalf. Um, because why would I want to work 
15 hours vetting spaces for you, uncovering solutions for you when there's, you know, maybe a 50% chance or better that you will see, you know, see a listing or someone will come to you directly and say, hey, here's this, or, or you will find a listing. You'll be driving down the street in your neighborhood and you'll see a space for lease. You'll call them and do the deal directly. Like, why would I, what is the incentive for me to spend my time as a professional with, with expertise, presumably in this industry, working on your behalf when there is no protection for me that that work will ever be compensated for? Amen. There, there, so, well, there's no reason for you to do that. But people do it all, all the day, time. every day, because it's all not a yeah. And it was it was it's hard to say no to people. And it was one of the first referrals that ever came to me when I first got licensed. Um, the the woman, the, the prospect client, we had a great call, and she said, "Well, listen." I explained to her that we work off of exclusivity, um, which with zero transaction experience in this industry was like a difficult thing to say to somebody, but. I have you two to fall back on. So, um, you know, I explained that to her, that we, we do like to protect our time. And if everyone's working for you, no one's working for you. And just tell she had someone that was in the residential side of things, um, was going to refer her to someone inside of her firm that also had a commercial arm. And so she was very hesitant about the exclusivity. And I said, listen, I get that. I understand, like, your existing relationship. But... You know, if, if that's not something that you'll consider, then maybe Totem and, and myself are not the firm for you um, or the solution for you. And an hour and a half later, she called me back and she was like, I thought about it and we want to work with you. That makes sense. She's like, I used to be a recruiter. I completely understand that you want to protect your time and your energies because you are doing a lot of legwork behind the scenes to, to advocate for us and to find us the right space. And she's like, that... The more I thought about it, the more it, it clicked with me that they, it happens in a lot of other industries. It just makes sense. She's like, I just haven't ever heard about that in terms of commercial real estate. So that was something I needed to digest. It's like, well, shit, I should have started telling people no about things a long time ago because then they say yes. Come back to the, you. It, it also becomes an easier presentation if you've taken through, taken them through. This is this is what you're going to experience here because the majority of people don't understand what we do. Like, just like you said, the majority of people don't understand how an amortizing loan works. Yet, everyone has one. They have a car loan. They have a mortgage. Most people yeah. have well, most Some people, people have interest yeah. only. But. Yeah. But most people don't understand how something actually works. And that if you can explain to them, this is what you're trying to accomplish, and these are all the pitfalls that we're going to walk you through just acting on your behalf, mm -hmm. well, it becomes a little bit easier to go, hmm, Yeah. Maybe I do need some protection here. And also, it's different languages. Like, it may seem very straightforward that you would go to lease a space and sign a lease agreement, and and that's the end of it. But it's not. Like, along the way, the communication, like, every profession probably speaks slightly different nuanced languages. Mm -hmm. Like, I would not go and try to represent, represent myself in a court of law because I don't know what any of their jargon and lingo means. And so, you know, I've had the conversation a lot with clients when we say like finding the space or finding the buyer is just step one. Like you need someone who 
lives and breathes in this industry that can interpret the language to you so that you don't get taken for a ride on some seemingly innocuous lease term or something in the purchase and sale agreement that leaves you vulnerable. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. It's not just like, we're not just matchmakers. Like there is a lot of background and there's a lot of nuance in the the information that you might divulge to someone on the other side that compromises your leverage in a negotiation. The That's a really the good new, one. We're not just the, matchmakers. I like that. Yeah. That's new. Quotes you are on fire. And the, well, the, the, the law, the, the courtroom analogy, the attorney itself, you're hiring the attorney for the attorney's expertise and the fact that they speak court or they speak law. Mm-hmm. It's We have a different language. And right. if you only know part of it, why would you, okay, this one, this guy is here acting on my behalf here, this guy's here acting on my behalf here, this guy, why would you do that? Why would you want to deal with three different people when you can have one absolute expert? Now, the key is to obviously hire the expert. And advocate, not just and expert, because ad- I want to come advocate. back to some page that. Yeah, someone acting on your behalf, because typically, like you said, if if you're, if they're not, if they're, what was the line? If they're not working for you, they're working for if everybody else. If everyone's working for you, that's where I want to come if back. Everyone's, if everyone's working for you, uh, nobody's working for you. But the point is, based on the compensation model, they're working for someone else. Themselves, but that's full circle. So that quote or comment you made, if everybody's working for you, like play that out for our audience in like real world situation. Like I am. Kevin and Lisa, and we want to lease 10,000 square feet for our manufacturing business. And we know five real estate agents. And we say, all five of you at different cocktail parties, we want to lease 10,000 square feet. Could you go find it for us? Like walk through exactly what you meant when you said, if everybody's working for you, nobody's working for you in Uh, that example. Well, one, I thought I was supposed to be asking the questions naively and you guys were going to answer them. I know. Now I'm is, on the hot now seat. Now you are on the hot it's seat. Still miss 96. Take, oh. it, take it for a drive. <laughs> My intelligence ended on Saturday night at midnight. Um, <laughs> or even just talk through what you've like witnessed now that like this is real world happening. Because it happens. Like You've had people come to you and say, hey, I'm looking for 3,000 square feet for this. Could you help me out? Yeah. And I mean, I've had situations where or heard of situations or been tangentially involved in situations where if four people are approaching the same landlord or the same landlord rep about the same space, there is a perception on their end that they're like, oh, well, we can pit them against one another. So it becomes a, you can create your own bidding war against yourself because there are multiple people reaching out for your same need and the landlord will use that to their advantage and creating leverage for themselves to get the best offer possible. So if you have five people working for you, one, you increase your chances that you will drive up the cost of whatever space that you're trying to go into. Because they all go to the same... Because they all are going to the same... Same people. pond, right. Um, I mean, I think that is that is my biggest thing on yeah. that front. Also, you know, oh, if, I... if when I say... The biggest thing I say when I... The biggest thing I mean when I say if everyone is working for you, no one is. If I am not protected in spending my time working for you, I'm going to focus more of my energy on working for people and and jobs where I am protected 
or where the outcome, the, the potential deal is larger, where the client relationship is, um, has more down road opportunities, where they're willing to sign an exclusive, like we would focus our energies and our efforts more on the people who are willing to make that commitment with us rather than someone who is just looking to, you know, throw things out into the wind and, and see who can deliver something for them. Right, because in your example, I'm putting on the, the page and totem hat, if someone says, hey, I don't want to sign anything, but could you tell me what's available 10,000 square feet in, you know, Peter's Township? Well, what's the effort level from totem and page going to be on that? Like... We could run a co-star search, we could send it to them and hope like it's throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. That's not advocating for somebody, right? So And it's not even the whole picture. Like it, it it's a mix it's a misleading picture because you don't know the true cost of a space. Like it's not just dollars per square foot. And you don't know what's listed versus not listed. Like right. you get the exclusive and it's like, no, you have a hundred percent commitment that you've hired us to solve this mm -hmm. issue whatever that issue is, and we are going to be relentless until we solve it. Right. Because we know that we're protected. Correct. Now, look at it from the owner's, or the, the, the tenant's perspective. What possible, what, what are they inheriting if they don't sign an exclusive? They're going to deal with multiple brokers or agents. They're not going to get consistent evaluation of everything. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to miss something. Um, someone's going to give them self-serving Someone's going to give them self-serving information. They're going to end up dealing directly with someone whose business interests are completely counterintuitive to theirs. There is absolutely no upside. In addition, there's a lot of brain damage and an incredible amount of time because you're dealing with more than more and more people. Mm -hmm. And you have no advocacy. Yeah. You have no one who's acting on your behalf. And you also have, at the end of the day, the fact that you will realize, I really don't know everything this guy's doing to me. Yeah, and I think you just hit the nail, and maybe it's a good place to wrap um, on the head with advocacy. Like when we created Totem, at the end of the day, what we're really passionate about is advocacy. It's not about exclusivity, because exclusivity has a whole bunch of other different connotations that could be good or bad depending on you know like clubs and a society and stuff like that but to us it's we are going to advocate for you 100 percent um and if you're not willing and this is what started even with that silly piece of paper way back when like if you're not willing to say we want you to advocate for us and we're going to sign on it and oh by the way you could fire us at any time with no obligation because we believe very strongly in our our value add like why would i advocate for you it's like you know i try with my kids all the time to reinforce to them that if they want great outcomes from the things that they're involved in they better provide great effort right so why would we as an organization give great effort to something if we don't have someone who's willing to say yeah we want you to be our guy or right. our gal it's or like our team. the sayings, like you get what you pay for. Well, if you don't pay for anything, right. what are you going to get? Or you get in what you, or you, <laughs> you get what you, you put. <laughs> if, if you're not, if you're you not get paying. get out what you put in. 
if oh, you're not Lord. paying for it, need to cut that. <laughs> you're the no. product. Yeah. Right. If you're not paying for it, you're the product. Yeah. And the, the, the thing, the reason why everyone should retain people, uh, professionals to work on an exclusive basis is because of what you get for it. It is you're getting that kind of advocacy. You're getting that kind of representation. You're getting that kind of expertise. And I can't remember how many times I've said, if you don't hire us in an exclusive way, hire somebody. Hire else. somebody. Yeah. Because we aren't interested in winning all the time. Like we get it. We're not the right fit for certain people, for certain jobs. But at the end of the day, if you're not like people always say, why should I sign an exclusive? Why would you not sign an exclusive? Like it is, it's amazing. So if you want to hear about exclusives and why we are so passionate about it, call us. This is probably bigger or been our biggest promo podcast Yeah, a little bit, which isn't why we started the podcast, but it's clearly something that we're passionate about. And that would be podcast 14B. 14A is about cars and rivers and, yeah, and if Paige you were, kicking if you're ass looking on CZIM. For, if you're looking for a 59 Chevy with a little bit of water damage, come call me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Really quickly. Basil Hayden. I think we should aged. talk about that dumpster fire we tried first. <laughs> Dumpster fire, worst bourbon ever. You Thank can God zoom we into tried it. that no. before the podcast it, started the because we all ever. gagged. Oh my God! Let's not be. But basil Hayden, age ten. I'm, I'm sticking with standard basil. Uh, yeah, it was a strong, strong, strong bite to start off with. The aftertaste I think is it, really weird. I, I think it's it's opening up to me a little bit more. Yeah. Um, that could be just because it's the second glass, but. Uh, so basil one or basil ten. Oh, no, the original. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the original. I don't know. This one, I haven't had the original in a long time, um, but I, the aftertaste on this one is no boy, not no. doing it for me. Cool. Well, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers. We'll talk to you soon. Woo. Woo, woo. Woo.